Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this December 2018 episode, we're going to take a look back at the genealogy year of 2018. The new editor of Family Tree Magazine, Andrew Cook, is going to be here. He will start us off with a look a little farther back in time in this month in family history. And then he and I are going to chat about the top genealogy stories of 2018, and we'll also take a look ahead at what's coming in 2019. In our DNA Deconstructed segment, Shannon Combs Bennett's going to be here to talk about the biggest DNA developments and trends of 2018. Author Rick Kroon will also be stopping by to dig into our 75 best websites list of 2018. And in Stories from the Stacks, head genealogist at FamilySearch, David Wrencher, will join me to talk about the Family History Library in Salt Lake City. There's a lot to cover, so here's Andrew to start us off. This month in 1823, U.S. President James Monroe declared that any attempt by a European power to create new colonies in the Western Hemisphere would be considered a hostile act against the United States. The proclamation, given before Congress on December 2, 1823, became known as the Monroe Doctrine. As part of this new foreign policy, the United States vowed to respect existing European colonies in the region and not to interfere in wars between European powers. The Declaration reinforced the separation between the New and Old Worlds, and also left the door open for the United States to continue expanding West, without fear of competition from other world powers. The policy change came shortly after most countries in Central and South America gained their independence from Spain. Monroe and his Secretary of State John Quincy Adams were concerned that Spain, along with France, would attempt to recolonize the region, and so they decided to firmly assert the United States' role as protectorate of the Western Hemisphere. Shannon Combs Bennett here with the DNA Deconstructed segment for the month. The biggest DNA development or trend for 2018. Can you believe that 2018 went by so fast? There are several advancements in the field this year and some amazing trends developed. So buckle up for a quick review. Do not forget to check the show notes for the links when you are done listening. The biggest development in the field was the use of DNA and genealogy to solve cold case crimes across the United States. Leaving your personal feelings and the ethical debate behind, bringing the use of genealogy coupled with genetics to the attention of the public had an amazing effect. I answered many questions from people who had never thought about genealogy before, who were now intrigued by what their DNA and their genealogy held for them. Recently, I was in Glasgow, Scotland, and I talked to a group of people at a local cafe about DNA testing for a good hour. Regular people are picking up DNA testing kits out of curiosity, and many, I found out, are eager to learn about cousins over here, too. With Ancestry DNA tests available in 36 countries, the trend in making contacts with distant cousins can only increase. Last spring, DNA Painter made a splash with its incredible website. For those who have not heard of it before, this website allows you to, quote-unquote, paint your chromosome with segments as you identify them. 
process gives you a colorful chart of ancestral DNA segments, which can be helpful as you identify other descendants of common ancestors. Plus, you can figure out exactly which bits of you came from whom. The most recent development in 2018 came in November from Genetic Affairs. This program takes your results from Ancestry DNA, Family Tree DNA, and 23andMe, collates your matches, and then emails them to you. Then there is the auto-clustering function that many people have literally lost their minds over. While this portion of the site is not free, it shows the user a graphic of all three-way matches in your list. This is not verified triangulation, but you can figure out that easily enough from the information provided. Just be warned, some people have lost an entire weekend playing with the software. Finally, MyHeritage held their first ever Genetic Genealogy Users Conference in Oslo, Norway this past November. While it is not the only one of its kind, there is also the Family Tree DNA Conference in Houston and the I4GG Conference in San Diego. This one was geared more to general users and made their live streaming videos free to view. This is a trend I hope continues. While especially part of the genealogy community, genetics can be accessible by all. Yes, some may need a little more work <laughs> to understand it than others, but if you give anyone the support, then the future is bright for those who want to learn. And on that note, I hope you all have an amazing start to 2019. I am a bit amped up to see what awaits in the new year. And on that note, Happy hunting! Every state in the U.S. has a unique collection of genealogical records, and that's why Rick Croom's new article, it's called Cyber States, is such a terrific resource. Here to tell us more about this 75 best state websites of 2018 is the author, Rick Croom. Hi, Rick. Hi, Lisa. Unfortunately, we just can't cover all 75 in, you know, eight to 10 minutes, but I would love to hear about some of the most impressive states' websites that you found in your research. Among the 75, we have some returning favorites as well as some new ones. And among um, my favorite new sites is the Maine State Library's new digital Maine repository site, and it includes the main newspaper project. I'm a big fan of online newspapers because you can really find a lot of interesting biographical details on your ancestors on those sites. And incidentally, all of these 75 websites are free. And I had been waiting um, a long time for newspapers to go online from the places in Maine where my ancestors lived. And this new digital Maine repository site um, has a main newspaper project that has those newspapers. So I was pretty excited to find that and a lot of references to my ancestors. For example, here's a local news item that I found in the Aristoc Times newspaper from June 16, 1905. It says, Mr. and Mrs. G. Pennington left last Tuesday for a trip to the West. They expect to be gone about three months. So that would be my great, great, grandparents, George and Sarah Pennington, who lived in Maine and owned the land where I live now, though they never lived here. And unfortunately, that news item doesn't give you too many details, and it doesn't say exactly where they were going out west, but I 
wouldn't be surprised if they came here to visit since they own this land and were probably visiting their daughter, my great-grandmother. Oh, that is so great. I know. I love newspapers. I love photographs. I saw that you have the Minnesota Historical Society website on here. And I've not only found some wonderful photos there for my husband's family, but I've also been able to contribute, which is kind of neat. You know, when you see a wonderful website like this, and you have something in your own collection that they might be interested in, they were thrilled to have one of the photographs that I had. So it can be a very collaborative effort. What other kinds of gems have you found along the way for your own research? I really do love the newspaper sites. And two of my favorite sites are, once again, uh, among this year's 75 best state websites. They're both large newspaper sites. One is the California Digital Newspaper Collection. It has more than 22 million articles that you can search for free. And that's 5 million more than last year. The newspapers date back to 1846. And, well, I mentioned my great-great-grandfather, George Pennington, and he had a brother, John Pennington, who was quite a mystery for a long time. He actually lived right here in my hometown around 1880 and then disappeared. And using online newspapers, I've been able to track him down across the country and even in Central America and South America. And he was quite a womanizer and had some um, very ambitious business projects and got his name in the newspaper wherever he went. Um, For example, in an 1895 San Francisco newspaper, the San Francisco Call, there's an article titled Perfidious Pennington. I had to look up the word perfidious. It means faithless or disloyal. It tells how his wife in California was filing for a, a divorce And it says that he is now in New York and is supposed to be married to another woman and using his best endeavors to dodge legal services in a case of bigamy. And that same uh, newspaper later on in 1895 reported that the government of Colombia in South America was requesting his immediate extradition. He is charged with bigamy, a fine military-looking gentleman who had money to spend freely. This was Colonel Pennington. So you really can come up with some pretty interesting biographical information in newspapers, especially if your ancestors were involved in scandals of any type. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I didn't realize it's great to hear that sites like the California Digital Library is adding so much to their collection. It's been a while since I've been over there. And I had great grandparents, of course, who came to California So it sounds like we need to kind of go back and revisit some of these again, because maybe there are some new finds. That's very true. A lot of these sites grow year after year. Another one, newspaper one that I really like is Old Fulton New York Postcards, and it has added 4 million more newspaper pages from New York newspapers since last year, but it also has some newspapers from other states. And using that site, I was also able to learn more about this mysterious a relative of mine, John H. Pennington, and it also tells about his marital problems. Um, One article is titled, Pennington's Matrimonial Tangle. He took a second wife before the first secured her divorce, and it told how he was staying temporarily at the St. George Hotel and how he had met Senor Francisco Otero in Colombia, South America, married his young 20-year-old daughter, who was much impressed by the handsome and apparently wealthy American. 
They were married in 1893, went to New York, but then his her parents discovered that he still had a wife in California, and that's where the problems began. And it's and all in, in the newspaper. <laughs> and it's all in the newspaper in fascinating detail. Wow. Now, I know that Fulton is not state library or associated with the state library or anything, but do you find that many of these sites that really came to the top of the list, were they associated with state libraries or archives? And, and that's very true. Many, a large percentage of them are associated with state archives, libraries, and historical societies. This old Fulton New York postcard site is really an exception. I think it's operated by one guy who scans all of these newspapers from microfilm on his own and makes them available online for free and does it much more cheaply than the libraries do. And it's just a terrific site. Also here in your article, I see that you have kind of a breakout page uh, in the middle of the 75 websites. And it says nine search tips for hard to search genealogy websites. So is this when we get to one of these sites, it looks great, but we're still having a hard time finding what we want? Yes, these are tips that can help you take advantage of those websites. And let's see, for example, search without names is one tip. As the tip says here, many old papers and printed books are indexed with optical character recognition software, which can misread words on a page. So you should try name variants and other terms associated with your ancestor, like maybe a spouse's name or an employer or an occupation. And if those don't work and you think you have an approximate date for an an event that might have been reported in a newspaper, most of the online newspaper sites let you browse page by page through the newspapers too. For example, with this John H. Pennington, who I was just telling you about, his name appears in a variety of ways. He's known as John H. Pennington, J.H. Pennington. Even sometimes he went by the name Jeremiah H. Pennington, also Colonel Pennington, even though he was never in the military. But anyway, that shows you that you need to try all the variations you can think of for how a name might have been spelled or how somebody um, might have been referred to. And keep in mind that optical character recognition isn't always accurate. So, you know, try searching on different, uh, different combinations of search terms. One of my favorite tips that you have here is number six, which is target records that you want. And it's tempting when we get to a website like this, we see a search box. So we go, let's jump in the search box and start looking for what I want. But you make the point that we should perhaps target, get familiar with the site, see what the categories are, see what the collections are, and then go in there and target a particular collection. That really narrows the playing field, if you will, and gives us a place to really zero in. And and that's what you're going to be able to do with this article that Rick has put together. This is called Cyber States. You'll find it in the December 2018 issue of Family Train Magazine. It is packed full with 75 amazing websites across the United States, plus these nine terrific search tips. Rick, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. And uh, we're gonna ha- I have to get back to the California Digital Library. Gotta go. Well, I'll let you get to it. It's Stories from the Stacks time. And this month, I've invited David Wrencher from the Family History Library to join me. David is the director of the Family History Library, and he's also the head genealogist at FamilySearch. Hi, David. Hi, Lisa. 
Oh, it's great to have you here. Of course, we have to talk about the Family History Library now that we're doing our stories from the stack segment. And one of the things we're trying to do in this episode in particular is kind of look back over 2018 and do a little planning for 2019. You're in a new role over at the Family History Library. You're wearing multiple hats now at Family Search. What's been going on in 2018? What stands out to you at the Family History Library? Well, the Family History Library is undergoing some changes. Uh, We're obviously looking at a number of different things that we can do to improve service to our guests there, and uh, I'm excited about what's happening. I think we have a lot of good things in store for 2019. Things that stand out to me, particularly for 2018, of course, is that we're looking forward to 2019. We are opening back up on a number of holidays, so people who are traveling to Salt Lake City certainly uh, will only be closed for four major holidays during 2019. Uh, That would be Christmas, New Year's, Thanksgiving, and Fourth of July. And so the other holidays, we will be open. Uh, We've also reopened on Saturday evenings from 5 to 9, which is good, I think. And then the primary focus of my 2019 year will be getting a number of the books back in the library. As uh, many people know that we've scanned a number of books, and those were removed from the library, and I am going to bring the books physically back into the library So we'll be expanding the reader shelving, and that will necessitate finding some extra space in the library. And the way we're going to do that is to incorporate ProScan readers with the desktop computer workstations. And that way, uh, people will be able to sit at those computer workstations, use their film, transfer images, work online. They'll be able to see their tree. They'll be able to see historical records. They'll be able to see their the film they're using, and uh, basically incorporate it all in, into one uh, sitting, one one area, one workspace. So a number of different things that we're doing. We're prototyping those workstations here this month, trying to figure out which work surface will work best for that and still allow our assistants to be able to be available and to assist as needed. So a lot of great things happening for 2019. Wow, it sounds like it. So this, you said it was a Pro scan reader. Are those yeah. digitized books or is that somehow working with the physical book? So those are digitized books and then the physical books uh, we are going to put on the shelves. So yes, many of them are scanned, but if you observe somebody using books, they're using like eight books at a time, right? Yeah. And they're not just using a single image of a book. So they're going back and forth and they're looking at those and they toss this one over here and they, you know, they go back and forth all the time. Well, it's really hard to do that on a green monitor. You do that experience if that's what you're left, but if you're really using the books, then you're then you're out there and you're using them. So we had a number of books that we scanned that were in copyright, and we were working under a single usage metaphor where the same as if you had walked to the shelf and pulled the book off the shelf, waiting for uh, that to kind of play out. And in the interim, uh, we've pulled some books down off of the digital images. And so we have about 200,000 books that are kind of in that abeyance space. We've just bought some new software that's going to identify, we think, about 100,000 of those books that we can immediately put back up line because we believe that they are out of copyright because we believe that the copyright was not renewed. Those fall in the space between 1923 and 1978. So between those two things, we'll be trying to get a lot more of that material back online. And so right now, unfortunately, there's this instance where you may come to the library and the book you want may not physically be in the library, and you may not be able to see the book online. And so I'm trying to correct that as soon as I possibly can. Oh, wow. It's a big job. Now, I know that there was quite a push when the digitization really took off that they were saying we just can't keep the physical books. And I think many physical books 
were destroyed, for lack of a better term. Well, destroyed is a little bit of a harsh word. The spines were cut off to digitize them to use a sheet feed scanner. So we physically have the book. It's whether or not we need to rebind it or whether we need to just find another copy or whether we reprint or something like that. So That's um, we still I have the was cert- under the impression that they were gone because of the process of the digitization. So you still physically have the material. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's it's in offsite storage. Okay. And that's what the catalog will tell you is that it's offsite, but we can't retrieve it from offsite. They're in storage bins, they're, you know, they're in they're palletized, they're in stacks in a warehouse, and so they're not uh, retrievable. And so those are all the issues and challenges that I'm trying to work with to fix that so that we, again, have, you know, basically our our flagship library is a place where you can come and and lay your hands on those books. Oh, that's fantastic. And it sounds like with the workstations that you're talking about, that the Family History Library really remains a very interactive place. You're really giving people a place to do their research in a very active, hands-on kind of way. Absolutely. As you know, we've over the years, we've acquired about 2.4 million rolls of microfilm. We still have about 600,000 rolls that remain to be digitized. And so copies of those films are in the library and can be viewed there. Or uh, we still provide the overnight film service from the Granite Mountain Record Vault. So if you come to the library and the film isn't in the library, you can order it from the library attendant window and it will be there within 24 hours. So we aren't circulating film to family history centers, but we have that one exception so that the film is physically available by someone. So either you or your agent through the library here in Salt Lake can get access to that material. Well, that is a fantastic reason to make your way in person to the library and to plan ahead and use the website to be able to to do some planning about what it is you want to do when you're there. Before I let you go, because I know you've got a hectic schedule, but I'm really curious, what's the number one reason that a patron walks through the doors? In other words, are they coming for the workstations, the books, the microfilm, the expertise behind the counter? What's that number one reason? And, and perhaps it would be the reason why one of our listeners would want to come in person to the library in Salt Lake City. Well, from my vantage point, of course, you've hit on all of those. Uh, we have some of the best experts in the world sitting here in our reference areas. And, you know, if you're working on a challenging problem, uh, you can lay it out in front of them and they can certainly give you that advice and and help that you need and that one-on-one service. Uh, We'll be expanding our expertise and our reference expertise to be there on deck all the time. But we're also looking at a number of different ways that we can just create a better guest experience. And so, you know, I think it's like choosing a restaurant, right? You, You go to different restaurants as much for the food as you do for the experience. And we want to make sure that we just provide the the best possible experience for you when you come to the Family History Library. Well, I can't think of a better person at the helm to make sure that happens. You've been listening to David Richard. Well, thank you. Oh, you bet. David, I know that uh, folks can find the Family History Library at the FamilySearch.org website. I found it one of the easiest ways. Google it, Family History Library, Salt Lake City, and they can find you. And it sounds like you've got expanded hours. So that's just all the more reason to make your way to Salt Lake City. Thank you so much for taking time out to kind of share what's been happening. And it sounds like you have a busy year ahead. We're excited to see what you're going to do. Well, thank you, Lisa. Great to talk to you. This 
this just in, the new year is the time to get organized. I know you've been thinking about it. Well, Vanessa Whelan, the Dean of Family Tree University, is here to tell us about a brand new course that's going to help you actually achieve your goals. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Lisa. I'm really excited to hear about this brand new course. I know it's about organization, but I know it's different and it's structured different. Tell our listeners what you've got in store for them. Absolutely. I'm really excited about this course as well, because all of us, I think, can use some help with organization, right? I see courses about this in every aspect of our life. There's, you know, there's things about organization everywhere. And that's because it's such a difficult thing to sort of wrap our brains around and try to actually keep and maintain. So this course is all about getting down to the nuts and bolts of organization. We're going to help make decisions because that's how we all get stuck, right? What do we keep? What do we toss? And what do we do once we have this information and what we've decided? The course itself or the workshop, which is whipping your genealogy into shape, that's the idea. It runs for 31 days. It starts January 1st. We're going to start the new year off with a bang and it runs through the 31st. So there's about five weeks in there, um, give or take. And each week we're giving a set of tools and, and tips for people to use. They're going to learn how to organize their their genealogy, their physical stuff. We're going to start with that. So week one, you know, you're going to be taking stock of what you have and then determining, you know, what do I need to do with this? And um, we're going to build from there so that we're going to take the process and make it easy to break it down into 31 days. And the exciting thing about those 31 days is not only are they going to learn how to do this, right? But they're actually going to be hands-on. You really are going to have a recycle box full of the stuff you need to get rid of by the time you're done, right? You And you'll have that pile that says, this is worth preserving. Here's what I'm going to do next. It's really hands-on. Absolutely. And we've got tips that we'll be giving out every day. So there's 31 days of tips that you can try. While maybe not every single tip will apply to every single person, each week you're going to find something that's going, that you can do to keep your stuff organized and to improve what you've already got going on. So you get to decide, okay, out of these seven tips, you know, what are the things that I can work on and what can I start doing right now? Exactly. You got to love that. And in this course, do you also have a discussion forum so they can talk about things and ask questions? Absolutely. Each week, we're going to have a discussion forum. We've got instructor Gina Philibert Ortega, who's going to be on hand. She's going to be answering questions. She's going to be helping everybody along. Uh, She's great. So I think everybody's going to love this. Oh, Gina is terrific. And she's so organized. Okay, so how does everybody find the brand new course? Where do they go to sign up? You just go to familytreemagazine.com slash store slash university, and you're going to find it right in there. Genealogy organization boot camp, whip your genealogy into shape. Awesome. Great way to start off the new year. Thank you so much, Vanessa. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me for this December 2018 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. It's the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'll have links and information on the show notes webpage for this podcast episode, 
For everything that we talked about today, you can find the show notes page at familytreemagazine.com slash podcasts, and then just click on December 2018. Again, I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com. There you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems Podcast, which is also available for free through iTunes, and we have an app in your favorite app store. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.